Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 157. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's show is sponsored by Lendit Fintech Europe 2018, Europe's leading event for innovation in financial services. It's coming up on the 19th and 20th of November in London at the Business Design Center. We have recently opened registration as well as speaker applications. You can find out more by going to lendit.com slash Europe. Today on the show, we are doing something a little bit different. We are talking about empowering women with Adapia Darico. She has been around fintech for some time. She's worked for a couple of different startups and she is someone that I've got to know personally over the years and someone I truly respect. And she, she was impacted with the Me Too movement last year to really go out and start helping women, helping organizations to empower women. And she's really very passionate about this, as you will find out in the interview. So we, we talk a lot about women's issues. We talk about gender bias. We talk about the unconscious bias that happens. We talk about what women can can do to really to really overcome some of these things and what organizations need to do to really encourage female leadership. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Adapia. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Okay, so I'd like to get these things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. So why don't you tell us what you've done so far in your career? Sure. I will start by saying that I've been in the fintech industry for about five years. I got started in late 2013 when real estate crowdfunding was also getting started. And I joined very early at Patch of Land when there were about three founders and I was employee number one. And I still remember going to uh, lend it in San Francisco in 2014. And Mm -hmm. the buzz there was incredible. And so and that's that's been me for the past five years at Patch of Land as the chief marketing officer, really advocating nationally and largely around the awareness with the opportunity with real estate crowdfunding mm-hmm. and hard money lending. My overall career background really started when I was 19. I started in a bank. So I've always been in finance, actually. Hmm. Uh, I started in uh, personal financial planning. So I had my CFP by the time I was 21, my securities license up in Canada, where I'm from. And I started my career there. I went abroad for a while. I lived in Europe and was in a hedge fund when I was in Europe. So amongst other things, I've, I've remained in finance to one degree or another. And when I came to LA, when I moved to LA in, in 2012, I was in the middle of a, of a few entrepreneurial ventures and got into the, the VC space and Silicon Beach. And that's how I came into real estate crowdfunding and patch of land. So somehow everything, everything went in this very roundabout direction, but it, it brought me back into, into finance on the tech side and on this new regulatory side and really been learning so much for the past five years as it pertains to 
the use of technology in finance and how that's really changing the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I know you you were at AlphaFlow and you you left there. It's it seems to you know to sort of do something that you felt like was more aligned with your core purpose. So what, why don't you tell us about that kind of transition and what, what you've been doing for the last you know, year or so? Sure. Yeah, I was, uh, I was at AlphaFlow last year and was doing great there. I loved it, loved the team. But in September, when the Me Too and the Time's Up movement really started, like they went on fire, it shifted something within me it really galvanized me. Like I wasn't expecting it. And I felt very called as a quite an experienced woman in business as an executive, as an entrepreneur, I really felt called to do something more with everything that I know and everything that I've done, all the lessons that I've learned. And that translated for me into doing, giving back essentially. And I thought I need to give back to other women who are not able to speak up or stand up for themselves the way that I've learned how to or the lessons that I've learned in leadership as a woman. And so I left to pursue some work where I could give back more. And so what happens is Me Too really made me realize that with my experience, everything that I've been through, various countries, various industries, I needed to impart some of this to others. And so I took a few months to do research, get educated and get trained on everything ranging from leadership training techniques, really diving into women's issues, uh, as well as taking some training on behavioral psychology and neuroscience so that I could bring some of that forward into the speaking and the presentations I was already doing, but shifting those away from finance and technology and real estate and really shifting them into what it means to be a woman today and what can be done today because there's this opportunity with these movements that they've given us to make change. Like now is the time to Mm -hmm. step up and companies want to. That's That's what I've been finding with the companies I've been working with and speaking to. They want change. And so I'm thrilled to be able to help with that. Right, right. And so... And so then I, I see you know, you've, you've recently actually taken on a new position. Why don't you tell us, mm-hmm. um, tell us what, what, what was behind that decision and, and just a little bit about the company that you, that you took on the position with? Sure. So I was happily on my merry way doing my leadership work and my workshops and my group coaching and all these things I was doing really my, like you were saying, my purpose and my calling and Uh, part of this work, I was advising and mentoring and and coaching in this company. It's actually called Alpha Investing, which is ironic with with AlphaFlow. Um, (laughs) But it's a small private equity firm and in real estate. And I love real estate, love real estate investing. And I was advising them and they approached me after a few months and asked me if I'd be willing to join. And I really had to think about it because I thought, well, I wasn't really looking for a job. I was really into this, this work that I was doing, but they're such an incredible team, so much integrity and also quite diverse. And, you know, we talked a lot about this work that I'm doing, the leadership work and the speaking and the presentations. And I said, 
you know, I'd be happy to help with the company and help grow it as long as there's this really big understanding that this is a big piece of me and I really need to be focused on, on giving back. And they agreed wholeheartedly. And so I took the opportunity because I have the opportunity to walk my talk mm-hmm. because it is uh, a leadership position. It is a diverse team, both racially and in gender terms. And the way that we're working together, the way we're building the company, the way we're doing business to me is the way that I would like all businesses to, to be grown and to do business with others, especially in a space that, that can be a little thorny, like real estate investing and development. So mm-hmm. it's a really interesting opportunity. I'm excited to be able to apply also so much that I'm learning and teaching and apply it directly to alpha investing. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I want to, I want to step back a, a bit though, and, and just talk about, as you look back on, on your career to date and, you know, you see, you've, you, you were in, you know, you've been, been in fintech for a while. And you, when you, you combine finance and technology, there's certainly a, a shortage, shall we say, of, uh, of female mm-hmm. executives. And they're really, you know, there has, you know, we've, we've struggled at lend it to, to try and work towards more gender parity. But the, the reality is there physically isn't gender parity inside the industry at any level. So I'm curious as, you know, when you've been, when you've gone through your career and you've obviously, you've had a variety of different experiences, what, did you, did you have any, any female role models? Was this, was this something you thought about a lot before the Me Too movement? I didn't really think about it a lot. I think that as I got to know everyone in the industry and when I got started, there were far fewer people and it was more specifically fintech. Nowadays, the fintech industry, as you know so well, is full of finance people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have a lot because of all the partnerships and the integrations with the traditional finance industry. So there's a lot of finance that's come into it. And in, in the early days, it was a much smaller group of people. And so naturally I gravitated to the other women. You just find each other, you know? Um, And so, and so I was able in that way to, to meet a few women, Luann Cox being one of them and Candace, I think her last name is Sogren now. Uh, I hope I said that right, Candace. And (laughs) you know, just a few women that, um, you know, that, that we would, we would really, we bonded in a way because we were in the same boat. We were doing the same kind of work. And I've really found most people, to be honest, in the fintech industry, men and, men and women alike, to be so open and so welcoming and so generous with their time and their knowledge that it was really quite easy to get to get my feet into the industry and to to grow these relationships with these women. But in terms of role models per se, honestly, I was so focused on growing the companies that I, I was just really like head down in, in how to do, in how to do that. And just by and large building relationships as I went along. Right. Right. That makes sense. So then when you, when you look at, at fintech today, and as I, as I said, there is a vast majority of men still at all levels. What, what do you think needs to happen for that, for, to, for us to get more gender parity? Yeah, it's, it's really tough. I think that the 
basically it's the norm in so many industries. Like this has been the norm for decades that it's been largely men in business at work and it's been changing though. It's much slower to change at top levels. And the research does show that there isn't necessarily a pipeline problem at entry level where the problem where it starts to bottleneck is as you get closer to the top Mm -hmm. and the, usually the first thing is to bring awareness to anything, right? We can't fix a problem if we don't know what it is. And if anything, the Me Too movement and Time's Up and all of the awareness that has been brought to the issues by media is bringing awareness back into companies. And that's, that's the first step. So we know there's an imbalance and a lot of companies and a lot of leadership teams, which are predominantly Native men, that I've been speaking to have said, you know, we, we know this is a problem and we want to change it. How do we do that? And, you know, it takes time, dedication, and just a persistent, constant effort. And what I've seen is it starts with that personal responsibility of like, what are my own internal biases and beliefs that are basically running unconsciously? Because while you can have a management team that says, okay, here's an issue, we want to change it. You have to start up there, up at the top, but in, in their heads saying, how is my behavior, how are our policies either promoting or holding people back in general? And so being really honest with ourselves about is, is my current workplace imbalanced? Uh, is certain behavior being condoned? And being very conscientious and aware of how that behavior is occurring and stepping in, courageously stepping in to say, hey, we don't do this. Like this might be the old way because it wasn't talked about before, but today this is not appropriate and here's how it's changing. It needs to be role modeled from the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, so you, you, I remember at your presentation at Lendit this year, um, which I enjoyed very much, you gave you this, this exercise about unconscious bias that was really, it was really interesting to me because I, I used to run a manufacturing company. And we had, we, we literally had a wall between the front office and the back office. And the back office was predominantly men. It was like, I think there was one woman back there and the front office was predominantly women. And it was like one man up there. So, and, and it made mm-hmm. me realize that, you know, we're not like when I, when I would hire for like a machine operator, I just, I, I, I was looking for a man. That's, that's, I didn't realize mm-hmm. it really, but that's, that's what I was looking for. And when I was hiring for a customer service representative, I was looking more for a woman. And I think it was really interesting to me to, to see that those, you know, we, we do have those biases. And is that something that you're, that you've been, you know, in the training you've been doing and the work you've been doing, is that something you're, you're addressing directly? Yes, absolutely. I, I really find it all starts with those biases and beliefs and thought patterns generally that run in our brain unconsciously. I mean, we're basically wired. Uh, we're like hardwired in our brains, like this neural net to have automatic responses to people in situations. And I, kind of this reptilian brain, as they call it, which is even responsible for fight or flight. But mm-hmm. you take that one level further and, and it comes into when you grow up, you're you experience through your environment and the people you're around, what is good, what is bad, who is good, who is bad. And that keeps just building, building on top of it. 
in each other. It just builds and builds and builds. And after a while, you're not thinking anymore. When you walk into a room, you're scanning. You're scanning for friends and foes and danger and safety. And you don't know this is going on. And then you have these stereotypes and these biases that you don't know are going on, but they're literally running your brain. Mm -hmm. And if you're not aware of it, they're going to run your, your words, your thoughts, your actions. And essentially, like that's when they say you shape your reality, that's where that comes from. Right, right. No, uh, that's understandable. So, so then, what do you do? What What is your advice to to women who are, you know, they're in their career and they are they are experiencing gender bias in the workplace, whether it's overt or covert. Um, you know, it's often it often could just be like they're passed over for promotion. They're, you know, they're not mm-hmm. given the recognition that someone, you know, a man might have done the exact same work or whatever it is. There's what what do you tell? What's your advice to to women who who experience this kind of bias? Yeah, that's it's such a tough one because the experience of a bias and knowing the objective reality of a situation can be two different things. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, so like in a way to just to back up for a minute, it women have really been asked to adapt to men in general, like in the workplace, like the responsibility of sitting in has been placed on the women or women take it upon themselves to do so in order to enter the workplace. Like the past few decades have really been women kind of having to show up and prove themselves to men. And that puts them on the back foot when trying to be at parity. So, you know, they're already going into it with an experience of probably like unequal treatment. Mm -hmm. So they're already coming at it with a different perspective. And so if something happens where they feel that they've been treated unequally, especially when it comes to promotion, there has to be a really open conversation. And that can be hard if your counterpart isn't open-minded and isn't willing to listen. And so there's a few things that come into play. Like, is there psychological safety? in the organization in general, is there really someone, a system, whether it's HR or management team or person that I can speak to without risk of backlash? Because that, that happens a lot. And so that, that's a conversation that needs to happen. And it also needs to happen in a non-aggressive way, because the last thing you want to do is show up screaming and yelling and blaming and because you don't know what the real story is. And so the important thing is to get to a place of objectivity from both sides. And if it's, hey, I feel I was passed up because of this, then the conversation needs to be, okay, well, here are the facts from our side and here are the facts from my side. And you have to talk it out and you have to understand. Now, the counterparty should be open to hearing and seeing whether there are really these unconscious biases and processes happening in in the promotion, like in the, in the review and promotion process. So Mm -hmm. it's this whole, it's this whole system really where it, it has to begin with a calm, open and objective conversation where all the facts are laid out, where the company potentially explains, here's what we're looking for. And then if you're on the receiving end and you got passed up because maybe you didn't have access to mentorship or training, because that's the next step. And if we want to empower female leadership at work is what development programs exist 
for men and women, period. Like we need a lot more development programs, especially in startups where the people aspect is so important. We need to be developing leadership traits for everyone. And that's, that's an HR and an executive function, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that you know, it's for, for, to encourage female leadership, because I think there's certainly a lot of male leadership in fintech. You're saying that there, I mean, there should be leadership period, but do you think, I mean, I guess what, should there be leadership training specifically for women? Is, I'm not sure I, I'm clear about what you're saying there. Yeah, sure. I don't think that there should be leadership training specifically for women at the exclusion of men. I think there should be leadership training. And for example, like like the work that I do, like I can come in and I can do training, like mixed training, because I'm really looking at the biases and the personal responsibility that we each need to take to be our own leaders, because leadership training is more organizational and systemic. And that should exist, period. We just need to be mindful in the organization as to whether there is even informal forms of leadership training, like mentorship that is being given by uh, executives or management to men, but not to women. Because if there's more men, then that whole model gets built off of relationships, going out for drinks and having dinners and doing things. And so it naturally builds a relationship where there there's trust. You get to know a person better and you think, oh no, that's a good person. I think that's a better leader. You haven't spent the same equal amount of time with a woman mm-hmm. that is at the same position just because on a personal level, you don't know her. So there's, there's little elements like that that come into it, but certainly there are issues that, that women have, which I've, which I've really discovered in my research and my training that there are these these mental models that that hold us back from playing bigger, and a lot of those have to do with systemic biases in our culture and in our organizations. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was reading the the Wall Street Journal this morning, and I saw there was a photograph of Harvey Weinstein, who's um, you know, who's now being uh, being charged with 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 a crime or with I don't know multiple crimes, I guess. And mm. I'm just curious. Is because obviously that sort of seems to be the, you know, the real start of the Me Too movement. I'd be curious to get your perspective. Is do you think, you know, what impact has the Me Too movement had? Because now we're, we're we're more than six, probably like eight or nine months since the since that story came out about uh, about Harvey Weinstein, mm-hmm. and you know, and and I'm it, it's been really a powerful movement, you know. What, what impact has it had, do you think, in business that you've seen over the last nine months? I think it's had a really big impact, some positive and some negative. On the positive side, it's just bringing to light what has always existed. And we're all being asked to look at it. <laughs> and do something about it. And I think, you know, within the context of when something really bad happens, usually it's an opportunity to examine and change things that are really no longer working. So on the positive, I think it's allowing also women to have a voice and to be heard because women who have been speaking up in the past have been silenced a lot of times. And, you know, and so that isn't happening anymore or not as much anymore. And so we really need to listen and we need to, suck it up because it doesn't feel good and it's 
you don't want to think that this exists, you know, you want to like pretend it doesn't exist and ignore it, but it does. Mm -hmm. And so it's giving us all the opportunity to do something about it. And so you're seeing a lot of companies saying, okay, I'm changing things at work now, like noticing that their culture is not conducive to really full participation for women. And so they're making changes or they're implementing programs or mentorship or whatever it is. But there's a lot of people taking action within companies and it's fantastic to see. And this is really all in the last nine months. On the negative side, one of the negatives is that there's some apprehension with, with some men who don't like I they've talked to me like I don't know if I can even talk to my coworker anymore I'm kind of afraid that you know what if she goes and says something that isn't even true because you've had a few of those cases which is really really unfortunate because it's not helping us when things get taken out of hand and approached in a way that doesn't really help improve anything so there's, there's the negative there where you have some apprehension and some segregation, which is the opposite of what we want. We want right. to achieve more parity and unity and inclusion. And you might have men, I'm just saying hypothetically, saying, well, now I really don't want to talk to women. So I don't want you around because what if you decide to go to HR? What if you decide to sue me and it's not even true? Because you miss, you know, whatever it is, because that, that can happen. So that is that is potentially the negative and it just needs to be addressed on a on a case by case basis. And I think again, in a in an organization, in a company, the, the management team and the leadership team needs to be making these statements and these initiatives and being really clear about the kind of culture and the kind of behavior that they promote or condone or condemn. Right. Right. So, so there have been a lot of changes. I mean, so many programs and so much attention being brought to it. And as long as it gets implemented and it starts to manifest this change, then it will have been worth a lot of the pain and, and the trouble and the turmoil that it's caused. Right. Yeah, I get that. And, you know, and, and, and as a, as a white male who has, I've been an entrepreneur now for coming up on 30 years and I, you know, it, it to me, it hasn't changed my behavior whatsoever. In fact, I, I've you know mm-hmm. I feel like it's been a it's been a great thing. The Me Too movement has been great. I feel like for all those men out there who are scared to talk to women, I feel like you know what if you if you're not a jerk, just be yourself. That's that's you know just if you, there's nothing really to worry about because and you know the reality is male mm-hmm. or female, if someone's got got a vendetta against you, they can you know they can do things. It doesn't have to, it's it, it's just one of those things. You're going to meet people who dislike you from time to time, and you just hope that they don't uh, they don't take any drastic action. But I I feel like those those men who who refuse to talk to women, I think they need to get a grip and really just be themselves. And and you know I mean I I grew up in a in a country that is probably more male chauvinistic than America is, and <laughs> you know some of my college days were were spent you know, I, I, I'm not proud of some of the things that I got up to in in college, <laughs> sure. but but my my point is that we're not in college anymore, and we're you know if you can sort of get away from the animal house type behaviour that still does exist. I mean, in you know around around the country, and if you just if you're just professional and friendly at work, yeah. you've got nothing to worry about. That's that's my view on it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, when people ask me about my experience and I've had my fair share of, you know, inappropriate 
remarks and jokes and, and, you know, things like that. And sometimes, you know, I've laughed it off. I've, I've let well enough alone. You know, I pick my battles. Uh, most of the time I don't pick a battle at all because it's not worth it. But when people ask me if I've ever had really big issues around being a woman at work, I will say, well, when I lived in Italy, definitely, like right. you were saying, like male chauvinist, like crazy, like crazy, crazy. And I was also a lot younger. So I had sort of these two things going against me. But in my more recent professional life, I have not because I was raised with the the thought in my head that you're just as good as anyone else, period. Mm-hmm. And so I never thought of myself as a, like a female specifically or a woman specifically when it came to anything. It's like, I'm me. I'm here to work. You know, you're here to work. And I never allowed any limiting limiting thought from that perspective to even enter my mind. And it's interesting when I think about it, when I do this kind of work and I think I just never, never even crossed my mind. Like I knew it existed, but it just wasn't something that I believed applied to me. Mm-hmm. So I just did my best because I thought, you know, you, you work hard, you do your best and you, you get rewarded, so to speak. So I haven't had that problem. And I think it really comes from mindset and these, you know, these beliefs and and thought patterns and biases in a different way. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not a woman. You're not a man. We're, we're, you know, we're coworkers, period. Mm -hmm. So then are you, are you optimistic that, you know, that the changes that have really begun over the last nine months will really, will continue and there'll be real lasting change that not just leading to more gender parity, but leading to more a more sort of i don't know uh, open and friendly workplace that's not you know that really is one that's productive and 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 not subject to you know negative kind of um incidents that uh that, that you just talked about is are you so you know are you optim- optimistic about what's going to happen yeah i am i'm optimistic i think that the initiatives today are part of what i call like transition initiatives we're all part of a transition team we can't go backwards like we can't go back uh in time and sweep everything under the rug we're bringing awareness and change to really much needed outdated behavior it just doesn't serve anyone and especially younger generation, like when we talk about even like the 20 the, the somethings that are coming into the workplace now, this is just not how they are. That's not how they think. And right. so the momentum that's now is also being pushed forward by this younger generation who they just don't stand for it. They don't understand it, which is great because they don't even come into it with a, a mindset that this is even a possibility for them. And when to me, like when you shine this light of awareness and knowledge on certain behaviors, they disappear. They disappear like shadows under like the sun at high noon. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're doing. So we're not going to go backwards. And I think what you end up seeing is that everyone benefits when people are generally more professional, nicer, like you said, collaborative, open, inclusive, everybody benefits. And you're not going to want to go back to when it wasn't like this because it doesn't feel good. And so much of our lives are intertwined with work, you know, and with purpose. A lot of people, especially in, in entrepreneurial venture, startup, young companies, what have you, 
they are expressing their purpose and their drive and their ambition through work. So they're not separating personal and professional. So they don't want to work in a workplace that doesn't feel good to them where they're spending most of their day. So yeah, I'm super, I'm super optimistic that this is going to change for, for the better and it's going to continue to change. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we're almost out of time. Just, just one last question. What's next for you? What, where are you taking this, all the, all the work you've done over the last, uh, you know, over the last year or so, what are you doing? Yeah, thank you. So I'm doing a few different things. Uh, Like we talked about, I've really combined my passion for personal development and business with coaching and this leadership work. So I'm still working with companies or organizations or groups. Uh, And, you know, it's funny, a lot of people don't know this about me, but my dissertation was on the role of emotional intelligence and intercultural management. So I've always had this passion for people development and the development of company cultures. And so that and on my own personal development, because I believe that we are responsible for that more than anyone else. And so I'm, I'm taking this and I'm able with, you know, having alpha investing, having my role there, growing that business. And a lot of it is relationship management and relationship based work, which, which is great. It's totally in my wheelhouse. And I still get to do this, this passionate work of going and working with women. And I'm going to be doing a more formal, like group women's coaching program, probably in Q3, where I can virtually coach a group of women, like a mastermind where they can also help each other because that, and not just within a company, but women from everywhere, because that is so useful to have women coming together Mm -hmm. and creating a support system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm really passionate about that. I'm really passionate about women helping each other. And so, you know, for sure, this is my calling. It is where my heart is. And I always say that when I present, like I have my, my work work, but then this is where my heart shines and I love to give back. So I'm excited to, to do more of this wherever and whenever somebody would like, would like my presence and my presentation. Okay. Well, on that note, uh, we'll have to leave it there, but uh, I, I, I wish you the best of luck out of here and thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Peter. Okay. See ya. So we were just chatting after we turned off the recording and the reality is, and I, I agree completely with Adapir on this, is that companies shouldn't do this because they, they think it, it, it might help them avoid a lawsuit or what have you. They should do this because this is how high-performing teams will operate in the future. It needs to be diverse thinking and really diverse perspectives make for a stronger company with better, you know, more creative ideas and better execution. I think we live in an age that that is going to become more and more demanded from the, the workers, both male and female. And if you're a female executive in fintech listening to this show and you want to know well, what now, what can I do, go check out the show notes at lendacademy.com. This is episode 157 and we'll have a list of different organizations that you can be a part of, you can join, you can network with other women. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.
Today's show was sponsored by Lendit Fintech Europe 2018, Europe's leading event for innovation in financial services. It's happening November 19th and 20th at the Business Design Centre in London. Registration is now open as well as speaker applications. Find out more by going to lendit.com slash Europe.